Welcome back to Talking Troy. On today's podcast, Daily Trojan staffers Chris Babona, Layla McKenzie, and Jack Hallinan will join the show to talk USC athletics and more. Everybody, welcome back to Talking Troy. I'm Chris Babona, and today we'll be joined by Layla McKenzie. We're going to talk a lot of USC soccer today. I'm really excited because I feel like it's a team that gets shadowed a little bit, but they are they are good. They're legit. They are playing some of the best soccer in recent years. They've got a new head coach. The Pac-12 race has kind of come to a close on their part, but they have a, an exhilarating game coming up on Friday. And so I'm really excited for that. I know, Layla, you were, you were basically the driving force in getting this on podcast. And I'm glad that you brought it up because soccer is definitely something we've got to talk about. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about some soccer. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. First off, I think we should do a little recap of the USC season. You know, they are playing their final game of the regular season on Friday against UCLA at home. So I hope everyone goes. But it's been it's been a good ride. And I think they started the year off with a pretty bad loss too. I think it was Purdue three to zero, but then picked up their ground really well, had big wins against, let's see, TCU, UCI, and then the big one against Stanford. That was super exciting. They got all that done, and then they had a great season, mid-season, late season, and then there was the road trip out to Utah, Colorado, and that was just brutal, have the, having the back-to-back ties. And I co- I talked with Coach Alukonis, and she basically said, like, we're, we're a team that considers a tie like a loss, and that was kind of deflating for their season in the in the race for a Pac-12 championship. But any highlights from the season so far that you want to point out? Yeah, I mean, after coming off of those two ties, USC came back at home and they actually beat Washington and Washington State. Um, So they got some good momentum coming into this game on Friday. But yeah, after the slow start to the season, like every time they face like some sort of setback, they usually come right back and uh, they have they have a win, but it's usually a pretty convincing win. It's Mm -hmm. not like. Uh, it's not weak. They usually come out and they have a lot of energy and they usually control the ball most of the first half and they try to score early and just forget about everything that happened in the past. So, yeah, and they got some uh, they got some good veterans on the team too. So they got Croy Bethune and they got Nicole Payne on both sides of the field and they're seniors, so they're they're pretty good leaders. So I'm feeling pretty good about them. Mm-hmm. Very experienced, unique mix though, because when you have like a first year head coach, but then players that have been there for four to five years. It's like almost they're running the program. I think that Coach Aluconis really lets them do their thing, right, and take over games. They're a very, very offensive-minded team. A lot of driving force and, like, ball control, like you mentioned. One one of the points that Coach made was we're, we're not really a defensive team. Like, we don't consider ourselves a defensive team. Maybe our defensive stats are good because we're on offense so much and we control the ball, but they're a team that's going to go at you, have a lot of shots on goal, a lot of attempts. Like, Corey Bethune, like, the stats don't lie, right? Like she, yeah. she gets her reps for That's sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but what can you say about her? Yeah, so she she leads the team in goals, assists, minutes, shots, like literally everything. everything. <laughs> yeah, so she she also she contributes to I think like half, like more than half of literally every single goal on the team. Mm. So like anytime the ball is in her hands, like you know, she's well not her hands, I guess her feet, but um she's like she's going to start something like. She's either going to run down the field and she's going to set somebody up for a goal or she's going to, like, finish it off or something like that. But, yeah, she's very explosive. And I think she also, like, influences both sides of the field as well just because she has so much energy. You you really just can't lose that on either side. No, 100%. And kind of the value she brings maybe being someone that the team has to have a mark on. You have to guard right. her, like, in man coverage versus, like, 
whatever else because you can't let her get away. And if you do, she's going to score those goals or have like a really nice pass, get the ball moving forward and score some points. So it's, it's been really exciting. It's like, I, I personally haven't been to a game, but I've definitely seen the no, highlights yeah. and it's, it's, it's a marvel for yeah. sure. But with, yeah, USC, I think, obviously we've mentioned a couple times, we're not going to win the Pac-12 this year. I think USC has never won the Pac-12. And for the past, I think, decade or so, it's been one of either UCLA or Stanford. But I think still a pride win could happen this week. And we'll talk about that just a little bit later. But as for right now, USC season, how much do you know about the the tournament, end-of-year tournament, NCAA soccer tournament? Right, so the... Tournament is like 64 teams, and most of them are automatic qualifiers, about half. So those are the people that when they're the teams that win their conferences in the Pac-12, they just do it by ranking. So uh, right now, I think UCLA and Stanford have 27 points, and USC is at 23, so they just missed it because you know you get three points for a win. Um, and they were actually in the same position last year, which is interesting. But yeah, so they should. The selection show is on Monday, and um, they should be able to make it no problem. They're 14 in the nation right now, and there's about 30 spots that they could fall into. So they should be in a pretty good position. So it sounds like almost like an at-large bid versus automatic if you win your division or top two. So 14th in the nation, pretty confident. Like It would be criminal for them not to make it. Right, right. Yeah. With a team that could beat Stanford, is going to play UCLA, we'll see how competitive that game is. Maybe you don't win the Pac-12, but... You mess around and win no, some in the, in the sure. tournament, and if anything could happen. Early exits from some of the better teams. You just got to stay strong and beat the teams that you know you can beat, and then maybe some magic happens later in the tournament, and then there's a Cinderella story there. So I think that's definitely something I know the team is looking forward to. For Absolutely, sure. yeah. If you get the W over UCLA and Stanford, it's like, who cares? Yeah, exactly. Yes. I want to take the conversation more into a individual analysis and really go into how this team is so good, how USC has just, they have been extremely competitive this year. And like I mentioned, it's more of an offensive onslaught, but also it's just weird because if you were to take it at face value and look at the stats, they're they're a pretty good defensive team too. But how is USC able to day in, day out, stay competitive, beat top 15 teams reasonably on a, on a good basis? Right. So I think a lot of it comes down to just the team's culture. And every time they come off of a loss, Alaconis, like the first thing she says is she was like, yeah, we played lazy. So today we just tried a lot harder and then they usually come out with a win. So um, I think a lot of it comes down to how balanced they are. So with that offensive attack, it's not just one player. They have 10 different scores. Seven of them have had multiple goals throughout the season. So when you have so many players that can can make some sort of play, it, it really it makes everything kind of like disheveled. It messes up with the other team's defense. And then when you have that kind of breakdown on the offensive side of the field, it kind of transfers over to the defensive end. And when you have really great defensive players, when the ball gets over there, they're prepared and they really just pounce on it. And that's how they control the game. Right. Ball control, like minimizing the damage, good midfielders, getting the ball forward, good passes, all that stuff is what comes to mind when you think about USC for sure. All right. I think I think it's time. Let's preview yeah. this game. Like I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. I think everyone's looking forward to it. It's the it's the climax of USC season, um, and it comes in, on the final day of the regular season this Friday, 2 p.m. McAllister Field. Be there. It's gonna it's gonna be a, a spectacle for sure. So, 
What do we know about UCLA? Obviously, I think they're the consensus number one team in the nation. I think in the polls, they have the most first place votes. Right. Um, they've been at number one like all, all, all year. Yeah. All year. That's <laughs> definitely, yeah, not an exaggeration. And they have like a top three offense. They have the best defense. It's it's scary. I don't I don't know how it came to be. Like this team, where's the kink in the armor? Like what's the weakness? What are they good at? Right. So UCLA, like you said, is just overall, they're just so strong. And like they've outscored their opponents 53 goals to seven, which is oh absolutely gosh. absurd. Um, and a lot of it goes down, comes down to their goalkeeper. They have Lauren Brzezki. She's a graduate student. She's been there forever and she, she really knows what she's doing. They've had uh, 12 shutouts. And then they, but on the other side of the field, they also are like top three in the NCAA in points. So, yeah, they have, like, the best offense and the best defense. Um, and they have some really strong defensive players as well. They, they're Lily Real. She she won Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week last week. They had two shutouts against Washington and Washington State. And then she also, I think they only had eight, they only allowed eight shots on goal last week. Or maybe not on goal, maybe just in general, um, which, is, which is absolutely absurd. And then on the offensive side of the field, they have multiple players that have had like almost double digit goals and they've also had like multiple hat tricks so they're really just remarkable and then even in that loss to Stanford uh, I think they still had they still had 12 shots in the second half and they were they they go at you all game so even if they're struggling they're still going to pose a challenge but I think I think USC is in a good position I think <laughs> I think the, see they got like a little secret you know they got Alicona she she was an assistant there for four years mm -hmm. so she really knows what's going on in their locker room, and she can definitely shed some light on how to how to coach against them. And then earlier in the season, uh, Coach Sugar he he was a coach at Arizona State, and um, he came out with they won that game as well. So they know the secret sauce to beating their former teams. Okay, yeah, you're discouraging me a little bit. My <laughs> my hopes for USC with all those stats about UCLA being so good, but I I do agree with you in the sense that there are some little little facts and nuggets that. Hey, we, 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 our head coach has literally been in the UCLA program for, what, four years as right. an assistant. They won big with her um, in the program. And then, like you said, with ASU as well. I do think this is going to be one of those, like, whoever gets, like, the lucky shot. Like, I don't see either team having ball control. Like, right. it's not going to be, like, a 70-30 split. It's going to be, we're going to fight for our opportunities. We're going to get a couple good plays run. And we'll, we'll maybe, maybe we do, maybe we don't get a good shot on goal, but it's going to be that one that just sneaks through. There's the, the one factor you didn't count on. Someone slips, ball goes rampant, a, a header, a corner. If that's what it's going to come down to, in my opinion. And that's what makes it exciting too, just yeah. because you see all these games like UCLA's like in USC have really, when they win, they dominate. So to see them go head to head is going to be really exciting. Mm -hmm. Do we even want to try to do like a final score prediction? Let's go for it. Um, I'm feeling two to one, USC. Whoa. Yeah. See, USC. That's a good. That's a great prediction. But I don't think. I don't think. Like, <laughs> man. See, I don't know whether it's gonna be like eight to seven. Like, it's gonna be like absurdly high scoring, or it's gonna be like you said, man. Okay, just because you did two to one, I'm gonna <laughs> say. I'm gonna say like five three. Oh dang. UCLA okay. though. Wow. Yeah. No, UCLA. They score a lot. So. But I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's gonna be a bit of a defensive battle too. Like I hope, I yeah. hope we see a gritty game where 
it just like yeah, it's two to one. Like you get a couple good looks, but I am torn because it could just go. You they're so good at everything, and we're so good. Like we have a great goalkeeper, and we have a great offensive line, and it could. It's just I don't know how it's gonna go head to head. Obviously, end of season. You you think what is UCLA playing for versus what we're playing for? You might think maybe there's some factors there that might change personnel, that might change motive or aspirations in that sense. But for the most part, man, I I do think we might we might see a shootout. I know I did like I'm kind of backtracking on my statement of like maybe it comes down to a couple of those plays, but now that I think about it and that you put down all the facts and how good they are on offense and like our defense as well, but I'm gonna say five to three. Okay. I but I think that's like a lot of goals. No, I know that's a yeah. lot, but I think like final game of the year, crazy. No, stuff that's exciting. Happen. Yeah, crazy stuff. You know, we're gonna pack it too. The energy's gonna that's, be high. That's true. Maybe it just gets out of control. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah I hope so. Anything else we want to mention here in terms of maybe Pac-12? Like anything? Do you have anything on Stanford? Yeah, I think Stanford's better than UCLA. Really? Yeah, they're they're out shooting their opponents by by just so much at the beginning of the season. Like they had the loss to USC, but ever since then they have absolutely just they they have been dominating just as much as UCLA, and they even got the win over UCLA. And I said like UCLA was definitely like they were getting shots off and. But Stanford was preventing them from capitalizing off of anything, so yeah, for sure. I th- I think Stanford. I think Stanford's better than UCLA. And guess who beat Stanford? USC. Yeah. I did notice yeah. that, like that kind of that circle of like life, or I don't. I, there's like a there's a word for it where like every team is lost to every like yeah. someone is lost to somebody because yeah, like you mentioned, we've beat Stanford. Stanford's beat UCLA. UCLA has pretty much beaten everybody except exactly. they haven't played us yet. So yeah. If for sure. imagine USC comes out of the year, maybe we don't win a Pac-12 championship, but we beat Stanford and we can beat UCLA to be determined, right? So if the Trojans come away with a win on Friday, what does that signify? Like, what's the significance of us beating the two top teams in the Pac-12 over the past decade? Right. So if we don't come out, we're not going to come out with the Pac-12 championship. But with those two wins, like, that is such serious momentum and that builds so much confidence. When you go into the tournament, you you really feel like you can beat anybody because like those are those are the signature victories. Losing to a team like Arizona, that's not you don't think about that. You think about those those really big triumphs and and they're gonna be a confident team going to the tournament without a doubt. And uh, I'm excited to see what they do in the next next few weeks. Absolutely. Do we know if they'll play some of those games here in Los Angeles or is it kind of all over the place? Or is that um, way too early to tell? The selection has to happen. Yeah, we gotta, we got to see the draw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We can pull out the crystal ball and say, oh, we're going to play like number 64, uh, whoever. But no, I, I do think so. All right, we're going to switch gears here on Talking Troy. We have Jack Hallinan on the show. He wants to talk some NFL. Trade deadline just passed. A lot of action. I think unprecedented amount of action this year. But... I think one of the biggest moves that we got to talk about is a guy who went to the San Francisco 49ers, Christian McCaffrey. I mean, we knew that the Panthers were going to sell house right, but for a contender like the 49ers to go for as good of a running back as CMC, I personally did not see it coming. And I first, like, what are your thoughts on that trade, the value, who won? We're going to get into it, but we'll start with those questions. 
Well, I think it's important in these kind of situations to frame value as situational, right? So mm -hmm. the Panthers, they have nothing to win. They're trying to accumulate draft capital. So getting three picks from the 49ers makes a lot of sense for them when they're not going to be able to use Christian McCaffrey to really push this franchise forward in the short term like the Niners can. And from the Niners' perspective, this is a player who fits their team really well in the sense that Shanahan likes versatile offensive talents. McCaffrey's obviously one of the most talented pass-catching running backs in the league. Um, so being able to send off some draft capital that you don't need, really, to make sure this team is a contender in the seasons to come and give that up for a proven running back who, albeit has had some in injury issues, um, just pushes them into the Super Bowl contention like they weren't two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I think the Panthers have been doing just fine. I think Deonta Foreman's their backup, and he's had like a, over 100 yards in each of his games as a starter. So like they're, they're not missing him. Obviously, like you mentioned, they don't even need to win, so it doesn't really matter for them. Take the draft capital and, and move on. But for the 49ers, it's now we have the best running back in the league who, by the way, threw for a touchdown, ran for a touchdown, and caught a touchdown in his last game, already having an immediate impact. They traded away Jeff Wilson, so they know he's going to be the guy. Like They are all in, and I, I think they're wise to do so because these 49ers teams that we've seen in the past, what, four years, they've been run heavy. Like Jimmy G passed the ball as little as possible, run efficiently, be efficient in the offensive game, block well. They've done all that. They have every weapon in the book, Debo Samuel, Ayuk, Kittle. The list goes on. Now you add CMC. They look pretty good. And in this NFC West that's been pretty suspect so far, I think it's very surprising to most how bad the Rams have been uh, in the hangover with their Super Bowl. Cardinals, very, very bad. And then, of course, Seahawks, they're, they're leading the division, which no one, no one would have predicted as the season has gone on. But 49ers, I would say they're primed to, to win the division now in the, in the stretch of 17 games. I completely agree. And I think that's why the CMC deal made so much sense for them in this moment, because they recognize the weakness in the rest of the division. A season ago, two seasons ago, the Rams looked fantastic. The Cardinals, when they had fewer issues also looked great. That was a hard division to win. Right now, with the Seahawks currently in the lead by one game, it's not that difficult of a division to win. You get another win over the Seahawks, you kind of win the rest of your schedule, or most of the rest of your schedule, and that division is yours for the taking, uh, and you will get a favorable playoff place. So it, it really uh, was a deal of the moment for the Niners as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we agree the Niners are the favorite in the NFC West now. How about in the NFC? A lot of good teams have emerged in the NFC, most notably the Eagles, I would say, is are the are those front runners. The the NFC South has been atrocious. So like Tom Brady and the Bucks, Saints, they're not really gonna be in the running. You could make the argument for like the Vikings have been a sneaky good team. Who knows what Aaron Rodgers could do, but I think the perennials of the NFC are not showing up, at least to this point in the season. So I would go as far to say we got the Eagles and we got who we believe the Niners will be by Week 17. Where do we rank those two teams? Is it even close? I think for the time being, you still have to respect what the Eagles have done so far. Um, they've just done an amazing job making that offense really hard to figure out uh, and really hard to stop with Jalen Hurts' scrambling ability. So they have to be the favorites for now. 
Um, but they're not the favorites in the NFC in the same way I see the Bills as the favorite in the AFC, right? They have playoff experience. They have the best, maybe the second best quarterback in the league right now. And they just have the talent front and back that has performed year on year to make them the number one candidate to win the Super Bowl currently. Mm. The Eagles are not quite that, but they have to hold that number one spot in the NFC for now until we really see sort of three quarters into the season what the Niners have been able to do Maybe what the Vikings have been able to do after acquiring TJ Hawkinson, if they can you know, run that division like they've been doing, then we'll start to think, figure things out more, uh, more accurately. But for the time being, Eagles number one. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Just you can't knock an undefeated team. And the, the manner of which they've beaten other teams is, is insane. Divisional games, it's not even close. It, they're winning games because of defense. They're winning games because they're just blowing people out. A.J. Brown is beating teams all by himself it's scary and when it's all clicking like that it kind of gives you that what 2015 panthers vibes just everything's going right like no one would have thought they were capable of this but the wins keep coming and coming and coming and it's going to be week 17 they're going to be ready to make a playoff push have a bye then you just got to win two games and you're in the super bowl so it happens that fast and in football there's a lot of turnover eagles in my opinion i could kind of see it coming i've always been high on it hurts um, ever since he came to the league, and they've always had a talented roster, but I remember they had some of the worst injury bugs. Nick Foles brought them to the, like, when he was the starter, brought them to the playoffs, and they were still a competitive team, and now you add a quarterback who could really get things done. You have great receivers now, which has always been the problem with Philadelphia. I, w- I would say they have the edge. If, if and when they would face the 49ers in a playoff atmosphere, I would take them. Some guys that I, I was surprised didn't get moved, first off, Cam Akers, I thought... They were ready, and all signs led to this guy's done in Los Angeles, but they didn't move him. I don't know if it was that other teams were displeased by maybe the possibility of him just like calling it quits or like, we don't know what type of guy this is. We don't know what's wrong with him. But I I saw Cam Akers have 30 touches a game before and run for 200 yards. I don't know if that version of him still exists, but the Rams obviously either A, don't want to give up, on that just yet or it's too complicated for another team to have that burden and then another running back kareem hunt he requested a trade earlier in the year obviously browns have not granted him his wish i still think he could be a starting running back and when you're playing behind nick chubb you're just not going to see enough touches to be satisfied he can absolutely be a starting running back and i assume that's why he wants to trade and then i assume the reason the browns did not want to trade is they just didn't like the deals that were being offered to them cam Akers is interesting i think he's decided to sit out the rest of the year um, so we'll see what happens going into the next season, but at least for the time being, that situation was not salvageable for the Rams. Right, and they, they have a rookie running back on the way, and they also have Daryl Henderson who could get the job done. Around the league, anything else you want to touch on? How about the Dolphins? What do you think about the oh, Dolphins? Oh, man. So, you know, talking to fantasy, I am a Tyreek Hill owner, so I'm, I'm very proud of that. He's had a great year. Record pace, by the way, going to be projected over 2K, so we'll see what, what that comes to about, but... Tua Tugavailoa is like the center of attention now. If you, if you pay any attention to like some of the bigger heads, like I know Emmanuel Acho is a guy who like always comes to bat and like Mina Kimes got in a huge debate with him over him versus Herbert. But man, I don't know what to think about Tua because I am starting to realize that the hate Tua gets is really unwarranted because he is performing and he is delivering. There are highlight clips of maybe he'll underthrow a guy on a deep route, but the point being, he's winning, he's succeeding. He had 
terrible circumstance with the, the concussion, two concussions, and nevertheless, he is still in a great spot, put his team in a great spot, and Dolphins football could not be any better. I am very high on the Dolphins. I think they definitely needed those additions that they got. I mean, Jeff Wilson, now he's he's going to be the bell cow now. Like, Mostert, fine, he held down the fort, but now you have a guy who could really get it done. The ground game is going to be great for that passing game. Waddle, Tyreek Hill doesn't get much better than that. Defense, the, the defense for the Dolphins has been bad, but I think adding that linebacker, it's a great addition. I, I would say that they're not going to win the division, right? Because the Bills are going to win. But with expanded playoffs, with the position they are in now, they will be a wildcard team. And they, they'll have the potential to win a playoff game. Is that That's, that's my, the extent of what I'll say. But what about you? Well, and we also know that on, on any given Sunday, they can beat the Bills or beat the Ravens as they've mm-hmm. already done. And obviously those games were played in d- difficult circumstances <laughs> with weather and in South Florida. And then I think the hurricane affected the game in, uh, in Baltimore. But... Some things break for you. We've seen the Dolphins beat those teams. Um, so they have every reason to bet on themselves and uh, make that Jeff Wilson acquisition and solidify things ahead of the playoffs. And that offense will continue to be explosive. When you have two of the 20 best receivers in the game right now, good things will happen to you. So you cannot take them, you cannot take them lightly in the, going into the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, we could talk Tua versus Herbert all day. I think there's a lot there. I, I'm still a Herbert Homer. I, you got to love that guy. And I feel like my biggest argument, if you want to talk about this, is Herbert has won something. And to win offen- like Offensive Rookie of the Year and to be literally a field goal away from a playoff team last year, it was heartbreaking. But that was the circumstance. And no one thought, and there's a lot of revisionist history going around with the narrative, but nobody thought the Chargers would be ready as soon as they were, as soon as Herbert took the stage, as soon as Tyra Taylor's lung punctured and he took center stage, the Chargers ran away with it. And they became a team that was a contender that could beat you on any given week. They've they've had the, the marquee games against the Chiefs. It's been really entertaining. Him versus Tua, I feel like this is Tua's year to prove something. And I'd say, come back to me after this season and then we could have that debate. But I, I'm still a, a Herbert homer. Yeah, I mean, Herbert has all the tools to be the best quarterback in the league one day. I think that's pretty much undeniable. Um, but it's been a tough season for the Chargers in the sense that expectations were very high going into the season because they were so close to the playoffs in a difficult division. And then they went out and made acquisitions like the Khalil Mack trade. So when you go into a season with these aspirations of contention and a young quarterback and a relatively inexperienced head coach, you know, sometimes things just don't work out. It's just not going to be your season. And maybe that franchise will reevaluate Staley in the offseason, maybe make a change, and they'll reset and be ready to go next year. And I don't think we should have any long-term doubts about Herbert and the Chargers in terms of a floor for a franchise. Because once you have a quarterback that good, yeah, you're going to be confident for a long time unless you're doing things very wrong in the front office. Like Staley. Yes. But exactly, you're alluding to it, but I'll say it. Like, he's been terrible. Fans are already coming out of his head. Like, analysts know that he's up to no good. But the circumstance, too, like you're kind of brushing on, I think they lost J.C. Jackson and another acquisition they lost for the year. Keenan Allen, where's he been at? He's had the lingering hamstring injury. Once he comes back, it's going to be golden for him and, for him and Herbert. And Herbert, the cracked rib. Everyone talks about, no one knows the extent to which that is affecting his play. Yeah. And a lot of people are pointing, 
this guy is playing through some serious pain, which some of it's speculated, some of it's science, but the best is yet to come. I think that's what you're trying to prove. And I think you're right. Uh, Chargers will be a good team for a very long time. I am continually impressed by how good of a ball Herbert throws. Like it just, it's one of the quarterbacks. Like it's a rare occurrence when you sit down on a Sunday and you say, he just threw that. Like some of the spiral, the touch, the arc, everything's perfect. Like, it's one of the quarterbacks, one of the few quarterbacks in the league that you will watch casually and be like, this guy's great, right? It's basically him, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Aaron Rodgers at this point. Mm-hmm. You, those are, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is obviously not currently, but still in the league with the capacity to just marvel at the way they're playing. He's in that top tier. Yeah, like over the shoulder, like the DB is on your receiver and he just finds him. Absolutely agree. Well, it's been a pleasure talking some NFL football with you. I, I can't, We got to have you back on. I'll, Absolutely. Gonna, I'm excited I'm for I'm talking it. with management. We're going to make this a thing. Let's so, do it. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. This was Talking Troy, and we will see you next week.